Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and not joining me today, my friend, my colleague, my neighbor, my frenemy, Mr. Mark Daly. And that's because... Mark needed a bit of a break. To be perfectly honest, we both do. It has been a grind the last three weeks pumping out content as we hit winter testing and as we hit the first Grand Prix racing weekend of the year. Now, no regrets. It was a total blast, but at times it can be a bit of a challenge to juggle your home life and your professional life and the hobby that is our our podcasting obsession. So tonight, kind of a special, you're just going to get me. And it's going to be at that a bit of a mini-sode, but we didn't want to take a week off. We wanted to make sure that we were here and we were able to tee up some meaningful content. So right from the jump, big shout out to JT the Human. Once again, my friend, thank you so much for blessing our podcast with that audio track. We cannot thank you enough. It has very much become the background, the soundtrack to our podcast. And while we are giving out praise, a huge shout out to Magnus Graves and the entire team over at the Race Weekend magazine. The Race Weekend has been a huge, huge, huge supporter of our program from the very jump ever since we first made contact with Magnus back in late 2021. If you're not aware, I definitely want to give them a give them a little bit of runway here. Race Weekend is a quarterly publication. It's like a magazine, but it's much, much, much richer in terms of quality and content. It is ad-free. It is coffee table size. It features some fantastic interviews, some great articles, but mostly, at least for me, is they've tapped into some of Formula One's greatest currents in past photographers to bring some tremendous visuals to life. If this is something that you're interested, I recommend you check it out. In fact, the race weekend currently has a promotion. And if you use Scuderia pod as a coupon code, as a promo code, you will get 10% off and we will get a nice little spiff that we can reinvest in this podcast. And if you have somebody in your life that absolutely loves Formula One and you're looking to maybe spruce up their life a little bit with a nice gift, an anniversary present, a birthday present, I don't even know, an Easter present, this is a very, very, very cool way to go. If you do enroll, you'll get the first issue almost immediately because it's dispatched through Amazon, which is really, really cool. Now, the reason, uh, despite the fact that Race Weekend is a phenomenal publication, they've been a great supporter of our podcast, is because we're really excited this year to be able to start doing some cool new things with this show. But it's going to take a little bit of work on our our part. You know, I I think, first of all... um, I feel like I probably let down a lot of people in in our community last year because I got really excited about doing some merch for the show and I wasn't really I wasn't really vibing with the current brand, the current logo, the current font, the current spelling necessarily maybe not the spelling but the current look and feel of of our logo and I've wanted for a very long time to refresh that probably keep the name simply because there's some really great brand equity associated with it but new colors and a new logo and a new typeface for the Skidaria F1 podcast logo was a no-brainer and I I'd kind of put a pause on doing the merch because I wanted to get that lined up and it's one of those things that I, I don't know if you have ever heard the term but there's this term scope creep 
sweep, which is like, hey, look, I'd really love to put new kitchen cabinets in my kitchen, but oh, that means a new backsplash, and that means a new countertop, and that means a new sink, and a new faucet, and a new dishwasher, and something that you thought was going to cost $2,000 is suddenly $60,000, and you're taking out a loan from the bank. And I think that's a little bit of what happened here. So uh, a big apology to everybody that thought we were going to be able to deliver merch before Christmas. And obviously, you only thought that because that was the <laughs> that was the impression that I had given. So I, a, a bit of an update on that is we have been in very close contact with a industry renowned motorsports visual artist who's going to help us with a new logo and a new typeface. And I think this is something that we're very excited about. It'd be new podcast artwork. We'd be able to finally do our website. And we've been paying for our website. We've been paying for the website creation tools for a while, but because we didn't have the visual assets, we had nothing to build it with. And I didn't want to do something super generic. Like I wanted to have, I wanted it to be a splash and I wanted it to be something special and something that made us stand apart from, from the rest of the, the industry, uh, as it were. So we've made contact. The price is high. It's very, very high um, for a podcast really that is break even at the end of every single month. But it's something I think is worth doing. So what we're trying to do right now is we've been reaching out and talking to sponsors ourselves. So rather than sitting back and hoping folks would come to us, we've been reaching out to some of the bigger brands in the industry that we feel would be a good fit for us culturally, but also it would be a good product to promote on this show. At the end of the day, you know, we don't want to be sitting here and promoting gambling or alcohol, or NFTs, or really shady investment firms that if we're going to be promoting something, we want it to be a quality product that we believe in. So we've been doing a lot of work the last couple of weeks to reach out and start building relationships because we'd love to get a title sponsor and we'd love to bring on some really, really strong, meaningful sponsors that will allow us to invest in the show. So next up, we want to line up some sponsors. We've had a couple of really receptive companies um, reach out to us, actually, um, incidentally reach out to us. So the hope is that at some point we'll be able to splurge, get those visual assets, build the website, and then we can kind of start developing a little bit of merch. And of course, I think that's really going to be centered around probably a hoodie and maybe some t-shirts. But again, I wanted to do something really cool and simply loading a low quality, shitty JPEG onto one of these t-shirt production sites that just spins out a bunch of silk screened junk is not what I wanted to do. And I wanted it to be embroidered and I wanted it to be special and I wanted it to be really, really high quality. And that's something that I want to strive to do. And I'm not willing to, I'm not willing to make concessions to that end. So again, to everybody that's been waiting, thank you so much. Just know it's something we're working towards. And quite frankly, I think if, if the times weren't so tough economically, and I think if we weren't kind of struggling with inflation so much personally, I think it's probably something we would have just thrown on the credit card and just dealt with later, but it's a little bit tougher just given the current economic climate. So no, we're looking at this, we're excited, we have some plans, we have somebody on tap that's going to do some phenomenal work, uh, and we're very, very excited about that. So I think that's maybe really the main updates for the show. Obviously, this is podcast number 20 on the year, something we're also very excited about. Last year was a record-breaking year for us because really of all the support that all of you provided us with continuing to listen to the show week after week after week. And of course, last year we worked to innovate and introduce new concepts like the interview series with media personalities and the interview series with folks that work in the motorsports industry and drivers, which I think is something that we're both really, really proud of. And of course, we were able to deliver a Grand Prix race preview every week and a Grand Prix race review every week. And that's obviously something that we want to continue to deliver this year. And, you know, I'm sitting here as you listen to it, it is Friday, March 10th, and we're already on the 20th podcast of the year. So we'll continue to pump out some really, really great content. Now, like I said, it's March 10th. We're already now incredibly a race in to the 2023 Formula One World Championship. And it's probably worth just quickly revisiting the 2023 driver standings that I'm reading here from F1.com. Sitting number one, probably no surprise to anybody, is Max Verstappen. He is sitting number one with 25 points. His teammate Sergio Perez is currently sitting number two with 18 points. And, and this probably would have been 
a big surprise, a shock if, if somebody had told any of us this two or three months ago. But currently sitting number three, and we're only one race is, is Fernando Alonso, the two-time world champion driver helming from Spain, is currently sitting number three with 15 points after that phenomenal, well-deserved, hard-earned podium in Bahrain last weekend. Of course, he is making his uh, his initial, well, I guess he's already made his debut with the Aston Martin Ramco Mercedes team, which is super cool to see. Carlos Sainz is currently sitting in number four with 12 points. Number five is Lewis Hamilton of Mercedes with 10. Lance Stroll of Aramco, Aston Martin, Mercedes. I'll probably get that order right by the end of the season. Lance Stroll, despite the injury that we're going to talk about a little bit later on, is currently sitting at number six with eight points, and George Russell of Mercedes is seven with six. Valtteri Bottas is eight with four. Pierre Gasly is currently sitting in ninth place with two points for Alpine Renault, which was a real turnaround. He really managed to to salvage something from that race. Uh, Finally, number 10, Alexander Albon, the tie driver racing for Williams Mercedes has one point after yet another points finish, managing to pull that that Williams Mercedes car around a Formula One circuit. Although that said, his new teammate, rookie Logan Sargent, with that absolutely fantastic 12th place finish in his Formula One debut. And, you know, in the context of Formula One, in the grand spectrum of all rookie debuts, maybe not the best, but given the expectations that I think we probably would have had for him, and certainly the expectations that I had given where this car has been for for, my gosh, the last five years, I think that was a, as the British tabloids would say, a bit of a, a shock finish, but obviously very encouraging for him, very encouraging for Alexander Albon, and very encouraging for everybody back at that Grove facility. From a constructor's standpoint, not a surprise, Red Bull is locked in at number one with 43 points. I don't think that is going to change this year. They will probably run away with this championship, and I think, well, that's disappointing given, I think, where we wanted this championship to be this year. I think what is exciting is possibly everything that's going to happen after that. Sitting really pretty after the first Grand Prix of the season in number two with 23 points, Aston Martin, Aramco, Mercedes. And like I said, prior to winter testing, I'm not sure any of us would have been brave enough to have predicted that that's where they would be sitting. Number three, and again, Mercedes, very, very disappointed with their start, very disappointed seemingly with the design of that car and ready for, as Total Wolf has stated a few times now, a bold change of course with the design of that car. Ferrari number four. Now, granted, Charles Leclerc had an incredibly disappointing DNF as seemingly the battery store failed on him late in that race in Bahrain. So all 12 points that Ferrari have scored came from that fourth place finish from Carlos Sainz. Number five, Alfa Romeo Ferrari with four. Number six, Alpine Renault with two. Number seven, Williams Mercedes with one. And of course, Alfa Tauri Honda Red Bull powertrains, zero points. Number nine, Haas Ferrari with zero points. And number 10, McLaren Mercedes with zero points in what could only be described, again, leaning into some terminology from the British press, an absolute horror start for them. And I sound so petty saying this because I didn't necessarily love the way that Oscar Piastri conducted himself last summer when he, I don't want to say ghosted, I don't want to say bailed, but departed from the Alpine Renault team at Enstone and that he sits here now in 10th place in the Constructors Championship looking up at Alpine Renault who's currently sitting sixth and again Mark one race in Alpine has scored two points but Alpine seems to have an infinitely better racing car and product at this stage than does McLaren Mercedes and I'm not super confident that McLaren Mercedes are going to be able to turn this around in a hurry so in the grand scheme of things you have to be wondering what Oscar is thinking again Oscar may have been offered significantly more money or term or incentives or bonuses um, and he could also just get a lot more exposure with that team from a sponsorship perspective. So I'm sure there was a lot of things that he took into consideration when he made that move to exit Endstone last summer. But right now you have to wonder what he is thinking as he goes back to the Woking facility at the McLaren Technology Center to debrief after what was an absolute horror race for that team 
in Bahrain. So it's probably a little bit early, but let's take a quick break, pay some of those proverbial bills that we need so desperately to pay, and then jump back, get into the news. See you in a minute. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm going to do a little bit of self-promotion because Mr. Daly isn't here to stop me. Follow me if you can track me down at Mark in Van City. I would love if you reach out and connect with me. And of course, you could also follow us on Twitter at Skidaria F1 Pod. We don't really have a social media presence on TikTok, and we're certainly not on Facebook, but if you do want to reach out to us, you can definitely do so on Twitter. We make sure to follow every single person back. We love to chat. We love to get to know everybody that listens to the show. And quite frankly, understanding the community and the community sentiment drives a lot of the decision-making about the coverage that we that we do on this podcast because we want to build content and narratives and storylines that that generally interest as many people as, as possible. So building those connections with the community, doing the spaces, sliding into people's DMs, having conversations is really, really important to us. Now, we're sitting here, like I said a couple of times, it is Friday, March 10th. We have finished the first race of the Formula One Championship, but there are other races coming up super quickly. As you probably know, next weekend, March 17th to 19th, we are going to Jeddah on the Red Sea. This is a three-hour flight from Bahrain. This is a race that I'm very, very excited about. The track has been significantly reworked once again in the spirit of safety and really taking into the feedback of all of the drivers, a lot of which has been voiced through the Grand Prix Drivers Association. That's very, very cool. I think it's really awesome when a track that is already certified by the FIA is willing to take in, take on, ingest the feedback of drivers and make significant and sometimes very expensive changes to address the concerns that they have about the safety and in turn the drivability, the raceability of these tracks. So again, March 17th to 19th, we're going to be in Saudi Arabia going back to Jeddah. It's crazy because this track has really only been on the calendar for a year and a half, 18 months, and this is already the third edition because, of course, the COVID year 2021, Saudi worked really hard. They got the track done. It was featured at the end of the calendar, and then, of course, it went into its usual slot at the beginning of 2022, so we had two editions of the Saudi Grand Prix in in the space of like three or four months, and then, of course, here we are again. 12 months later, going back for the third time. So for the third time in 18th months, we are in Jeddah. I love this track. I love that it's under the lights. It's ultra, ultra high speed. It's a very, very different aggregate than Bahrain. So while, of course, the high speed creates a lot of downforce and a lot of wear on the components in this car, it's not nearly as aggressive on the cars as is 
Bahrain. After Saudi, we've got two weeks off, and then we go to Australia, back to Albert Park, where there's, again, been significant work done there on the track, which is super cool. Very, very excited about that. And then we have almost a month off because, as all of you know, the Formula One Grand Prix that was to take place in Shanghai the first time since 2019 was canceled because of COVID protocols and because all of the people from the Formula One circus that was going to enter that country had to go through COVID quarantine. Now, all of that has since been scrapped. China is opening up rapidly. All of their COVID lockdowns have been scrapped. They're moving on. But all of that change in public policy and health policy happened after the race was already canceled. So, you know, we maybe could have made this race happen if the timing was a little bit different, but the ultimate outcome for us as a fan of Formula One is that we're going to basically get two summer breaks. So we're in Australia, March 31st to April 2nd, and then we're in Baku, Azerbaijan for April 28th to 30th. And then, and this is coming so fast, on May 5th to May 7th, we are back in Miami for the second edition of that race. And of course, the race promoters there want all of us to know about all of the tweaks and modifications that they've made to make that a better entertainment spectacle, both in terms of on-track at action, but also in terms of all of the things that they've done to improve the experience for fans that are actually attending the race. And that could be little things like adding additional shaded spots, but also creating more water stations to enable fans to get water quickly, easily, and cheaply without standing in the sun in a lineup for 30 or 40 minutes. So that's cool as well. Now, to jump into the news, and there's quite a bit of it, to be totally honest. So I think what we're probably going to do is break this up a little bit. I'll take you through some of the biggest stories of the day. Daily and I will regroup on Sunday. Our mailbag is bursting, bursting at the scenes, and I want to make sure he's here when we go through that. But we've got some really exciting news, but unfortunately, we have a very, very sad story to open with today. It was reported a couple of days ago that FIA President Mohammed bin Salem's son has passed away in a car crash in the United Arab Emirates. A spokesperson for the FIA, Motor Racing's governing body, confirmed on Friday that his son, Saif Ben Salam, had passed away. The younger Ben Salam had a brief racing career and competed against 2023 Formula One rookies Oscar Piastri and Logan Sargent in the 2016-17 UAE Formula 3 Series. And I'm quoting here from ESPN.com. His father, a former rally champion in the Middle East, was elected to motor racing's most influential role in 2021. Mohammed Ben Salam recently stepped back from day-to-day matters with Formula One Racing's premier series, having fallen out with its leadership and its teams over the off-season. Further comment is not expected from the FIA or the president. So heartbreaking news from the United Arab Emirates. And of course, our, our prayers, our well wishes, our thoughts are with Mohammed Ben Salam and his entire family at what is obviously a really, really tough time. Pivoting to a, a much more positive story, F1.com on the 8th of March reported that Roden Carlin's 2023 Formula One Academy lineup is complete. Roden Carlin have become the second team to finalize their roster for the inaugural F1 Academy season, signing none other citing none other than Canadian racer Megan Gilks. And this is something we're excited about because Megan is a friend of the show. If you don't know, she competed in the W Series in its inaugural season in 2019. She won in Assen, becoming the youngest driver in W Series, or youngest driver, youngest race winner in W Series history. She subsequently attended the Imperial College of London, majoring in aeronautical engineering. Late last year, she began or she began an internship with Aston Martin, a Ramco Mercedes Formula One team. This is huge for her. She has been grinding and grinding, fighting for sponsorships, working on her academic career. 
working in the real world as an intern at a Formula One team. And now she's got the opportunity once again to really, really, really put her racing career into hyper drive. Reading here from F1.com, Gilk stepped up to single seaters in 2017, competing in the Canadian Formula 1200 Championship, finishing third and second overall in consecutive seasons. In 2019, she was selected for the inaugural W Series season and won the non-championship race in Assen. With that victory, she became the youngest ever W Series race winner. Last year, the 22-year-old finished sixth in the UK's GB4 Championship, achieving two wins and a further podium finish. Continuing here from F1.com, ahead of her F1 Academy debut, Gilk said, I'm thrilled to announce that I will be driving this season for Roden Carlin in the inaugural F1 Academy season. I can't wait to take my learnings from racing in GB4 last season to this exciting new international venture backed by Formula One. The opportunity to join a truly world-class team with a fantastic winning record across multiple junior formula is amazing, and I can't wait to get started end of quote. You know us. She's a Canadian driver. She's a phenomenal talent. She's competed in the W Series. I think this is absolutely going to be steroids for her career. The sport of open wheel racing and Formula One and everything associated to Formula One is just in a whole different playing field in terms of global awareness and global exposure than it was in 2019 that I think this is going to turn out really, really well for her. And hopefully she's going to be able to find a ride potentially in a Formula 3 championship at some point down the road. So wishing nothing but the best to friend of the show, Megan. This was really cool news. And when it came across my phone a couple of mornings ago, I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been happier. In other news, David Coulthard has said that Total Wolf's assessment of the W14 car is a quote-unquote below to Mercedes Formula One design team, according to Fergal Walsh at Motorsport Week. I don't think this package is going to be competitive eventually, he said. We gave it our best go over the winter, and now we need to regroup, sit down with the engineers who are totally not dogmatic about anything. There are no holy cows and decide what is the development direction that we want to pursue in order to be competitive to win races. And continuing the article, Mercedes qualified 6th and 7th respectively for the race in Sahir, but was outpaced by Red Bull, Ferrari, and Aston Martin during the weekend. Speaking to Channel 4, Coulthard says that Wolf's comments will be a major kick to Mercedes' design setup. Says David Coulthard, I think it was brutal. The car has only been alive for six days, a few days of testing, three days here. I don't know where he's coming from with that. But yeah, they've got a completely different strategy with the side pots. They clearly have to try and follow the pack now. But that is like a big, kick in the whatnots for the design team, quote, end quote. So this is an interesting piece, and it really goes back to something that I think is going to be a common thread in the narrative, in the conversation around Formula One this year, which is Mercedes went in a very different direction than their competitors in, in 2022. And, you know, we obviously saw that they struggled with porpoising, which was a major issue. They struggled with drag. They struggled with the weight of the car. But it really felt that by Silverstone, they were starting to get it in a really good place. And we all likely recall Austin and the fact that until the dying moments of that track or the dying moments of that race, Lewis Hamilton was in contention to win and flash forward a few weeks and we're sitting there in Brazil. George Russell puts in a phenomenal performance in the sprint race, clinches the sprint race, the first of his career, and then clinches his first Grand Prix victory in in Brazil of all places on that legendary track and it really felt like they got that car in a really good place. And obviously, Red Bull goes on and wins the championship handedly, as I think we all expected them to do. But you would assume that if Mercedes is able to regroup and go back to the factory and work on the car for a couple of months, they would come back with something much, much, much more competitive. And it's early. And I think that's David Coulthard's point here is that it's early. But Total has been very open and very transparent about his feelings regarding this car. And if you followed Formula One for the past 
eight, nine, 10 years. One of the things that Total Wolf is very good about is with the exception, I think, of 2014 a little bit and 2016 when he would be very openly critical of his drivers, he's not been one to criticize the internal dynamics of the team and decision-making within the team that might have resulted in moments on track that were less than spectacular. And of course, it's probably one of those things where a lot of criticism wasn't necessary anyway, simply because the car, the package, and the power unit were always so good. But maybe it is a little bit disappointing here that he's so open and so transparent. And maybe, maybe certain people within that team feel a little offended or might take it a little bit personally, that he's very much attacking the design and the aerodynamic formula of that car. But at the same time, I I think they all have very, very thick skin. And if they're watching Formula One like the rest of us, it's pretty obvious that what they're doing isn't working. And ultimately, at the end of the day, if anyone, if anyone needs to be responsible for this and be accountable for the performance of the car, it's, it's total wolf. Because at the end of the day, as the team principal, he's the one that signs off on everything. He's the one that signs off on the pistons in the internal combustion engine. He's the one that signs off on the weight of the energy sore. He's the one that signs off on the tire strategy for the weekend. It's it's all him. And I think, and I was talking to a friend about this a little bit earlier, he's been untouchable from a, a criticism perspective over the last decade and justifiably so, right? Like he came in and he took over this team as Ross Braun departed, eventually became a one-third owner, was obviously um, somebody who was gifted a really great driver lineup in in that sense because, of course, Hamilton was already locked and loaded with this team for 2013 when they were finishing off that V8 era. But he's escaped criticism for the past decade simply because he's delivered in ways that perhaps no other Formula One team principal has ever delivered. But now we here we are. And last year, I think a lot of Formula One fans and spectators were willing to write off that, look, it's a bad year. It's a new era of aerodynamic regulations. Red Bull nailed it. <laughs> Ferrari had the pace, but they didn't have the reliability or the strategy. And in some cases, you could question the wherewithal of their drivers who made some pretty unacceptable mistakes on the track. But I think, by and large, we were willing to write off the Mercedes campaign simply because they were showing such great signs of progress towards the end. And unfortunately, here we are, and again, super early, super early. I get it. We've had three days of winter testing and we had a three-day Grand Prix race weekend, but the pace delta between them and Aston and them and especially Red Bull is is shocking. And I don't know if it's whether we need to credit Red Bull for finding incremental pace over the holidays or just the fact that Mercedes has found little or none of it. It's it's early again. And of course, Sahir is a unique track and it's a high deg track and we're going to Jeddah and we'll obviously know more. There'll be more data available to us, but not feeling super good about where Mercedes is because we had all anticipated and we talked about this during our Formula One Grand Prix preview show. We had all assumed that Mercedes was going to win races this year, that Lewis Hamilton might win multiple races. And as we sit here on March 10th, one race into the season, it's very hard to imagine a world in which that happens. Not impossible, but I would put money on Aston Martin winning a race this year over a Mercedes winning a race this year. Sticking to the same subject, Lewis Hamilton was interviewed by Rosanna Tennant on BBC's Checkered Flag podcast following the Bahrain Grand Prix and made some comments that might be a little bit alarming for people back at Brackley and and Bricksworth that Lewis was very good at tempering his his comments from the cockpit of that car and in some of the media pen sessions after the race and certainly you know I think he'd he'd been very pessimistic about the car coming out of preseason testing. But at the same time, he also tempered that a little bit because, of course, I think preseason testing is short and you don't learn an awful lot. But joining Rosanna Tennant on the Checkered Flag podcast, he was quoted as saying, last year, I told them the issues that are with this car. 
Like I've driven so many cars in my life, so I know what a car needs. I know what a car doesn't need. And I think it's really about accountability. It's about owning up and saying, yeah, you know what? We didn't listen to you. It's not where it needs to be. And we've got work to do. We've got to look into the balance through the corners, look at all the weak points, and just huddle up as a team. That's what we need to do. We're still multi-world champions, you know. It's just that they haven't got it right this time, and they didn't get it right last year. But that doesn't mean we can't get it right moving forward. So some very, very strong comments from seven times world champion Lewis Hamilton. And obviously, his frustration seems to be running high. And it's running high at a time where their chief rival in Red Bull seems to be in a position where they could run away with the championship. And of course, the other piece of this equation, this Formula One puzzle, is that Lewis is due for a contract extension. And you have to wonder how this plays into that in in a couple of ways. One, I don't think Lewis is going anywhere else. I I think at the end of the day, Lewis is going to be with this team for the rest of his career. He will very likely be a not honorary, but paid ambassador for the Mercedes brand and for the Mercedes AMG Formula One team. I think those are things that he earned and he certainly has has deserved. But I think it makes that conversation about extending a little bit more difficult that if Mercedes was much closer to Red Bull at this point, and we could anticipate that they were going to win multiple Grand Prix this year, maybe Lewis looks at the situation and says, look, I'm willing to sign up to a two-year deal because I think that's the right thing to do for me and my career, but also for the team because I have that much confidence in what we're going to be able to do in the next couple of years before we get to that 2026 engine reg change. But if the team's not super competitive, maybe it changes. And and maybe ultimately he asks for more money or he looks for a shorter deal or he looks for a driver option. I just, I feel it's going to be more complex for Toto and the Mercedes team to lock him up for multiple years simply because he probably doesn't have the confidence in the team. And certainly I don't want to go down that tabloid route of suggesting he's going to go somewhere else. He's not. Where's he going to go? He's not going to Ferrari. They're very happy with their drivers. I simply don't believe it's in his personal makeup to make that move to Marinella. He's certainly not going to go to Red Bull, the team that's absolutely been been his arch nemesis for the past couple of years. He's going to stay with Mercedes for all the reasons that I just described. But I think a multi-year deal is probably something that is going to be harder for Mercedes to achieve. Now, all of that said, Total could come to the table with a 60, 70, 80 million dollar a year deal over two years. And that might be a no brainer to, to Lewis, but I do think it adds an interesting, it certainly adds an interesting wrinkle to the conversation around his contract extension. Now, staying within the Mercedes family of Formula One, Aston Martin, which of course, as we discussed earlier, had that absolutely dream weekend at Bahrain. Fernando Alonso storming to the front, taking advantage of the fact that Charles Leclerc had that horrible DNF and scoring that podium and putting some big points up. Some details around Lance injury, Lance injury, Lance Stroll's injuries have emerged. Lance Stroll posted this on social media. I want to take a moment today to reflect on the last couple of weeks and share my story with you guys. On Saturday, February 18th, I crashed my bike while training in Spain. The scans showed I had a fracture and displacement in my right wrist, a fracture in my left wrist, a partial fracture in my left hand, and finally another fracture in the big toe on my right foot. With the beginning of the season right around the corner, the timing could not have been worse. My medical team at first believed I was not going to miss testing, but realistically, the first was was not only going to miss testing, but realistically, the first few races. 48 hours after my accident, 12 days before the first race, Dr. Javier Mir successfully operated on my right wrist. Following surgery, Dr. Mir told me I'd be back for Jeddah if I worked hard, and with a bit of luck, he was optimistic I could race in Bahrain but that was only a faint possibility. To this day, I am convinced the urgency Dr. Mir showed to me helped get me to Bahrain. The work wasn't done, unfortunately. Dr. Mir explained that the fractures in my left-hand wrist and toe weren't suitable for fixation and that I'd need to rely on a more
more conservative approach to heal my other injuries. My medical team ensured we were doing everything or anything and everything that showed some evidence for bone healing. It became my full-time job trying to combine everything that could help, even if it was by 0.5%. Initially, progress was slow. I needed a lot of help even with daily tasks at home. But each day got better, and once the cast came off, on day four, it became possible we had a chance of racing in Bahrain. My medical team devised a program that would help me restore mobility and strength in my wrists. Rehab required hard work and persistence, but with an incredible medical team and my friends and family supporting me, I was able to push through the pain and get back on track in Bahrain with my team and fellow drivers. We talked about this last last Sunday that there was an awful lot of people celebrating Lance and and Fernando said you're my hero and I I have to I have to disagree a little bit with this that I I think certainly it's it's remarkable that Stroll had an accident and and there was bone damage and breakage and and fractures and that within a few weeks he was in a position to drive a Formula 1 racing car but having said that I still I still can't believe that if the car was in the same place it was at this time last year from a from a performance perspective that he would have wouldn't have sat out this race that I think there was very much a legitimate sense of fear of missing out or FOMO with him that he saw what Fernando was doing in, in winter testing and he saw what Felipe Dragovic was doing and I think there was an urgency to get back in the car because I think he felt that even with the injury he could be competitive and score some points and he didn't want to miss out on that but the more I read about the injury and I think this is a really cool story and I really respect Lance for being so transparent with the injuries that he suffered and I, I totally do because I think too often in Formula One and in some major professional sports, teams do an awful lot to conceal injury and the extent of injury because they don't want to give up a competitive advantage. So to to stroll to come out and share this detail is awesome. But to me, it just it reinforces that opinion that look, what's the point? Like, why are you unless you think you can win a Formula One World Championship this year? What's the what's the reason to push? And I, I get it, and I think one of the cool things that it's shown is maybe he's more competitive than a lot of people, including myself, have given him credit for. And maybe I should be praising him that he pushed so hard to get back into that Formula One car. And maybe had he not pushed so hard, I would have used that as a criticism to to build on the case that maybe I've been building about him the last few years about not being hungry enough. But at the same time, as he describes these injuries, it's remarkable that he was in the car, but it's remarkable that he was physically able to get back into that car. Now, the race.com published a fantastic article and it's called The MotoGP Master Who Made Stroll's Heroics Possible. And as as Lance described in that in that excerpt I read a couple of moments ago, his doctor was Javier Mir, and Javier Mir is a Spanish doctor, and of course that works out perfectly because that's where the accident was, but he has been an absolute godsend to the sport of MotoGP riding. Reading here directly from the race.com. Dr. Javier Mir has serious name recognition. He is something of a legend in the world of motorcycle racing. A Spanish surgeon works out of Barcelona's Hospital University Dexias as an expert in upper limb injuries. He has become the MotoGP paddock's go-to expert in recent years and would have come highly recommended to stroll following the crash. As well as working as part of MotoGP's on-site medical team, Mir has been single-handedly responsible for almost every Every upper limb injury performed in recent years with riders often flying directly to his clinic following a crash, following an injury. And I continue to read here. Most recently, he was the doctor who patched together both Alex Rins and Taka Nakagami in 2022 following a wrist and finger injuries respectively, but has a reputation that stretches back much farther. He's played a part in too many MotoGP-related surgical interventions to count. So big shout out to Simon Patterson for that fantastic article about Javier, or Dr. Javier Amir uh, in the race.com. You know, everyone listening obviously knows I'm a huge MotoGP fan. So when my 
passion of MotoGP intersects with my passion of Formula One, I get a little bit excited. Now, in MotoGP, upper body, upper limb injuries aren't super uncommon because riders will have a low slide, low side crash, a high side crash. They'll get flung from the bike. They'll often land on their wrists. They'll often land on their ankles and injuries there aren't super unusual. Leg injuries, arm injuries, breaks, fractures. And of course, you've heard us talk about Mark Marquez so much since he had that brutal crash in, in 2020. But Dr. Mir is well-renowned. He's always in the panic. He is the go-to specialist for everybody in a sport that unfortunately sees a, a lot of a lot of damage and a lot of fractures simply because motorcycle racing is very, very dangerous. Now, all of that said, the, the sheer amount of safety precautions that the team and the FIM and Dorna have taken to, to make it a safe series is phenomenal. Current track layouts, track runoff areas, uh, gravel pits, all of that stuff makes it in incredibly safe. But again, when you're flung off a bike at 320 kilometers an hour, a broken wrist is going to happen here or there. And he's been very much the, no pun intended, but the backbone of the medical industry that supports that series. So it's very, very cool that of all people in the world, that Lance Stroll was ultimately cared for by this individual. And it's probably no surprise then that Aston Martin felt comfortable putting him in that car for this race in, in Bahrain. Let's take one final break. Who knows? You might get Mr. Daly talking about diet supplements. Who knows? Those crazy, kooky, alt-right-wing extremists might sneak their way back onto the podcast. Fingers crossed they're gone forever. But let's take another quick break. We'll come back. I got a couple more stories to take you through, and then we'll wrap it up for tonight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. You could probably tell by my voice I'm a little bit under the weather. I've been sick for, it seems, months and months and months. So I appreciate that this show hasn't been as smooth and as sexy as some of the stuff we typically pump out on Friday for everybody listening at home. But a bit of a personal story, and I don't think anyone cares, but I'm going to tell it anyways. I had a basketball game tonight, so I joined an adult basketball league. So the first time I played organized basketball in a decade, I love basketball. I think it's a phenomenal sport to play. It is a great workout. And I've really been inspired by my son who's become such a great, such a great fan of the sport. And it's such a great participant and he loves playing it and it, it tires him out and it makes it easy to get him to bed. Of course, our nightly routine now is me either telling him stories about how he's going to be drafted by the Utah Jazz when he's 18, or it's me and him sitting on my phone scrolling through jerseys on nbastore.com picking the ones he wants for future birthdays and future Christmases but I had a basketball game tonight and I feel like given the fact that I haven't played in a decade it wasn't as bad as I thought uh, but my cardio was terrible and and we played uh, the first game and I, I think so the way we were playing it is we weren't playing to a, a set score but we would basically play on intervals so you know you would break into teams and you would play to the clock and the team with the most points when the clock expired would be the winner the first the first interval man like I collapsed on the floor like I've never been so out of shape in my life 
Sweat was pouring everywhere, but it was really good motivation to better my diet as as the summer approaches because I want to get out to the pool, but with my current form factor, my current form factor, my current form, my current physique, that's probably not something that uh, anyone wants to see. But anyways, enough about that. Jumping back to Formula One, according to planetf1.com and Henry Valentine, Ferrari Aerodynamics Chief has reportedly resigned amid UK team interest. I'm quoting here, David Sanchez, head of vehicle concept at Ferrari, is said to have resigned from his role with the Scuderia after being approached from a team based in the UK, according to multiple reports from the Italian media. Oh, the Italian media is ferocious. The Frenchman had been with Ferrari since 2012 and had been promoted through the team's aerodynamic department. Before taking on his role, which oversaw the aerodynamic concept of the team's 2022 and 2023 cars, the F-175 and SF-23, he is believed to have left his role immediately and gone into a period of gardening leave, having made a decision on his future in recent So this is an interesting story. And I think the gut reaction, like the visceral reaction to the story is Ferrari's continuing to clean house. In this case, I don't think that's necessarily the case because I think of all the things that are going well and I think of all the things that are going wrong in Marinello. I don't think anybody's clambering at the design team for the aerodynamic philosophy and formula they put together. That hasn't really been the weak point. Talking to the engine team about the reliability of the power unit, talking to the strategy team and having a from God conversation with the drivers after some of the mistakes they've made over the course of the last year. Like Those are things you want to focus on, but I don't think that this was necessarily a decision that was made by Ferrari, but I truly do think that this is David Sanchez looking at another opportunity. Now, according to the Italian media, the outfit, the British outfit that he is being linked with is McLaren, which is a team he spent some time with in the past, but it's not clear at this point what role he would take with that team. And then quite frankly, from a professional perspective, it's very unusual for a talent like this to make a lateral move from one team to another, especially from a works team, a works team like Ferrari to in some ways a minnow like McLaren. And of course, McLaren have big plans. They look to continue to invest in the team, get that wind tunnel up that we've been hearing about since 1927. But ultimately, it is a bit of an odd move. So maybe potentially there's a significant promotion in this for him, maybe more money, maybe more autonomy in terms of the development of the car. We don't know. Hopefully we will learn more in the future. But what has been reported is that he's resigned effective immediately, which means he goes into gardening leave. And for those of you that don't know, typically when a talent, an executive, a designer, a team principal leaves a Formula One team, it's not particularly easy for them to take on a new role with another team. And they typically enter into a period of gardening leave in which they effectively sit at home being paid, or in this case, as he resigned, not being paid. But there will be a period of time that Ferrari will insist he not participate in competitive Formula One before he can take on another role with another team. And this would have been outlined in his contract with Ferrari. So we don't know what it is. It could be six weeks. It could be three months. It could be six months. It could be a year. We've seen some crazy extended gardening leave periods. And the reason for this, of course, is you don't want somebody who's been intimately involved in any one aspect of a car immediately jumping to a new team and being able to take all of those ideas which are fresh in mind to the new team. You want to put a period of time between the exit from one team and onboarding and taking the reins at another team. In other news, 43-year-old Brit Jensen Button, according to Nick DeGroote of Autosport.com, is to make his NASCAR Cup debut at the Circuit of the Americas later this month. And furthermore, this isn't intended as a one-race event, but rather this is going to be a planned three-race schedule, which is absolutely 
I don't know if it's absolutely incredible. I don't even know if it's interesting, but it's fascinating because it's not the first time that we've seen a Formula One driver or a former Formula One driver make the jump to NASCAR and experiment. Of course, Kimi Raikkonen's done it and Jacques Villeneuve has done it. He isn't the first and he'll certainly not be the last. But according to Nick DeGroote, Button will race the number 15 Rick Ware Racing Ford Mustang with support from Stuart Haas Racing at Coda, where he will all also faced 2007 F1 champion Kimi Raikkonen in a third track house racing Chevrolet. So I say all these words, like I understand what they mean, but it might as well be a foreign language. No disrespect to NASCAR fans. I just haven't had the time to really get to grips with it. Continues Nick DeGroot. It will be Button's first appearance in any division of NASCAR and comes a few months ahead of his planned assault on Le Mans 24 hour in a next gen cup car prepared by Hendrick Motorsports. There, Button will share the car with Jimmy Johnson and Mike Rockefeller as he makes his first attempt at the Endurance Classic since 2018. And of course, 2018 was his first full year out of Formula One. His kind of official exit from Formula One, I guess, was the end of 2016. He didn't finish the race in Abu Dhabi. He celebrated with his family that that was the exit end of his career. But he did get that one-time ride for McLaren at Monaco in 2017 because, of course, Fernando Alonso had taken the opportunity to try to go and compete at the Indy 500. So the last time he officially competed in Formula One was that one race at Monaco in 2017. He was a full-time driver for McLaren from 2010 until the end of 2016. Prior to that, he raced with Braun GP in 20 or 20 in 2009. Of course, that is the incredible, remarkable year when he won a world championship. Braun won the constructors championship, and they did so in a Honda designed and Honda built car that had an oversized Mercedes V8 stuffed into the back of it because Honda had exited the sport months before the 2009 season was to begin. Ross Braun, of course, swooped in, saved the team, brought it out of administration. But with Honda exiting the sport, they had had no power unit ready for that championship, but they did have a car. So at the time, Mercedes very upset with the state of their relationship with McLaren after Spygate in 2007 and having taken on half of the $100 million fine that was assigned to them by Max Mosley and the FIA. They were more than happy to provide power units, and it turned out to be a match made in heaven. Braun, of course, became Mercedes, and the rest is story. Prior to driving with the Braun GP team, he spent two years with Honda. So, of course, he was very, very, very familiar with that team by the time Mercedes stuck a power ute into the back of it and Ross Braun took over. Before that, he was with Lucky Strike Bar Honda, and before that, Mild 7 Renault and BMW Williams Formula One team. So he had a long storied history. I think his first full year was 2000. I think he started 17 races that year. So he had a very long and rich history. And it's funny because I, I assume the guy must be 50, but he's only 43 and he's only been out of the sport for a couple of years. And it's remarkable as well that he was very much labeled by the British press in the early part of his career to be the bad boy, the playboy of Formula One. But by the end of his career, his reputation in no small part because he became a world champion was absolutely pristine. So that's an interesting story. And I think it's probably something that's going to draw a lot of eyeballs to some NASCAR races because some of these drivers like Kimi Raikkonen, he transcends the sport of Formula One, partly because of his personality, but because he also won a F1 world championship. And Jensen Button, there's some transcendence there because again, he's a 2009 Formula One world champion. Now, we've got just two more stories before we lock this place up and turn off the lights or whatever it is that Mark Daly says at the very end of our long Thursday, Friday podcast. But Christian Horner, the Red Bull team principal, says engine talks with McLaren are only natural. According to Sky Sports, Red Bull's Christian Horner, McLaren's Andrea Stella have confirmed engine talks between the Formula One rivals following Zach Brown's visit to the Constructors Champions Milton Keynes factory. McLaren weighing up engine options ahead of introduction of new regulations for 2020. 
26. So this is a fascinating story, but I don't think there's a I don't think there's a lot to read into this. Ultimately, Zach Brown has a deal with Mercedes. Mercedes will supply them with power units through the end of 2025, and we're in a situation where and for the first time in his career, Christian Horner is going to be a power unit manufacturer, which means he also has the added benefit of being able to sell power units to potential customer teams. And I think at this point, it's 2023, but 2025 is coming fast. And you really need to have your intentions for your power unit for 26 locked and loaded by no later than probably earlier, mid 2024. Both sides are doing their due diligence. So when Zach Brown visited Milton Keynes, he probably just wanted to get a better understanding of where that power unit is. Of course, it now is labeled the Ford Red Bull powertrains power unit, uh, internal engine or internal combustion engine that will have been developed entirely in-house at Milton Keynes by the Milton Keynes squad with technical support provided by Ford. And as I think we understand it, Ford's going to do an awful lot of work around the electrical components. But I don't think there's a lot to read into the story, but I do think it is fascinating, partly because Zach Brown wants to do his due diligence heading into 26. Is the Mercedes power unit the right fit for his car? Are there options out there? Are there cheaper options out there? Are there more expensive options that can provide a better power unit, he needs to do his homework and he needs to make sure he makes the right choice because it's very, very, very difficult to divorce yourself from a power unit supplier, not only because the contracts are often airtight, but because you design your entire car around that power unit. What Braun did in 2009 was nothing short of a miracle and it's not likely something that would be repeated. So when you commit to a power unit manufacturer, you commit to that power unit influencing the design and build and shape and weight and and weight distribution of your car. So a very, very, very cool story. I think Christian Horner is probably salivating at the idea that there could be Formula One teams, competitors even, lining up at his door to buy power units come 24, 25, when some of these teams start putting these contracts into Place Now, a really interesting story that came across my Twitter feed was this, and I'm quoting Adam Stern here. Fanatic says that online merchandise sales for F1 grew 101% last year and that most sales on earth came from, you guessed it, the United States of America, where the top three states were and These came as a bit of a surprise because you would assume Texas, you might assume Florida, you might assume California, but rather Illinois, Arizona, and New York. UK was the second largest market in the world for Formula One merchandise, and Australia, third. Mexico notably also had a very significant jump in F1 merchandise sales. And of course, all of this is a byproduct of the huge growth story that is Formula One. And I think when we talk about revenue streams for Formula One, we talk about as a team, you're going to earn prize money, and you're going to have sponsors, and all these different sources of revenue. But I think sometimes we forget just how valuable merch can be for Formula One teams. And I think it's also a criticism in a lot of ways that if you go to F1.com and you start filtering by the teams and you start looking at the team stores, F1 merch is pretty expensive. No, scratch that. F1 merch can be very expensive, especially since they turn it over every year. Just as the teams refresh the livery of their cars, they refresh their merch every year because they want to give people reason and incentive and motivation to buy the latest merch. And of course, oftentimes they trade sponsors, which necessitates change, or they trade drivers, which necessitates change. But ultimately, F1 merch is really, really expensive for what it is. And having been around the business world for a long time, I can assure you that the margins on this type of merch are obscenely, obscenely, obscenely high. And I think for me, 
I'm cool buying a little bit of merch. It just better be damn good quality. And I haven't bought a lot in my my life simply because of the price and simply because, especially as I've become more invested in this show, I've become far less interested in being emotionally invested in any specific driver or team. You know what? I feel like if I'm part of the media, I'm not going to show up to the track wearing a Mercedes or a McLaren or a Red Bull shirt that I want to be at least somewhat subjective and somewhat what I'm biased. So I don't really want to invest in any merch. But that said, I have bought some in the past. Some of it has been absolutely atrocious. Like I would have been embarrassed if I saw it on the rack at TJ Maxx. Some of the other stuff has been really, really great quality. And I've been able to wear it for years and wash it repeatedly. And it's continued to look new, but interesting story nonetheless. Now, planetf1.com also covers this story. And according to Planet F1, Formula One merchandise sales doubled in 2020. 2022 and are up 1,000% since 2018. And of course, the timing of that is interesting because the beginning of 2019 is when the first season of Drive to Survive emerged, but simply, simply phenomenal. And, and I read here from, I read here from F or planetf1.com. F1 merchandise has become a big business of late with the price of even a t-shirt costing 60 Now, that's $60 US because I can assure you, you're not getting a Formula One t-shirt for $60 Canadian. But a cool story. Have you bought F1 merch? Let us know down in the comments. No, I joke. I joke. (laughs) I, I, I joke. It's very, very late here. I'm having a little bit of fun, but it is a neat story and it just reinforces the tra- the growth trajectory of the sport. The only thing I can ask is that if F1 teams are going to continue to sell merch and they're going to continue to charge an absolute premium for it because they can, because the demand is there, please, for the sake of the community, bestow upon us good quality merch that's going to last a couple of years. So On that note, I apologize that I was a little bit under the weather tonight. I apologize as well that this was a mini-sode. It was just me. Mr. Daly is away on a business trip. I wanted to make sure I could give him the opportunity to focus on his business, focus on his clients, focus on his teams, and take one podcast off his plate. We are going to be back on Sunday. Daily doesn't know it yet. We're got a ton of additional news stories I want to get into. We also have, like I said, the mailbag is bursting at the seams. I'm super excited to get into that. Now, again, if you like what we do, and hopefully you recognize that tonight's show is a bit of an aberration, but if you like what we do, if you listen on Spotify, if you can give us a rating, super easy, listen to a pod, click the rating, give us five stars or four stars, whatever you feel we deserve. And if you listen on Apple, if you can give us a rating and a review as well, that is immensely helpful in helping us to promote this show. Hope you had a little bit of fun tonight. We're a week away from Jeddah, one of my favorite Grand Prix circuits in the entire world, despite the fact that it's only been around for 18 months now, which is remarkable. I'm working on some fun F1 stuff related to this show. We've got lots of great interviews coming up. Hoping to get Megan Gilks on soon, especially after she's earned that fantastic opportunity to compete in the F1 Academy Series. On that note, folks, as Daly always says, I'm going to start switching off the lights. I'm going to turn up the heat a little bit. I'm going to crack a cold Diet Coke, and I'm going to slide into bed and scroll through Reddit for 45 minutes before eventually and begrudgingly falling asleep. Thanks for your support. As always, we'll be back on Sunday. Have an amazing weekend. Bye for now. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like song, and my song's gonna break through like a running back.